Hey there, welcome to another episode of Film Streak. My name is Rob, and every episode here on Film Streak, I'm going to go back and recap all new movies that I'm watching. And by that, I mean new to me. So not necessarily new releases, but stuff that I've either ignored for too long or maybe have never heard of before and uh, just want to give it a look. And, you know, I love watching old movies and, and watching the same movies over and over again, but I do want to watch something new. So here is the chance to do that. And I'm going to talk about it and see what we think about um, some of this stuff. Some of it's really random. Others, um, you know, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say that I've never seen before. So that's how it goes sometimes. Now, with this episode, I'm going to take on a specific actor, a specific talent that, uh, you know, maybe we've uh, we've celebrated in good times and maybe misunderstood or even um, mocked in bad times. And that is the very one and only Nicolas Cage. And, you know, for growing up in the 90s, that being kind of the era when I was getting into film and watching a lot of films and really, you know, taking it seriously, but also enjoying like the blockbuster um, tentpole style, you know, big budget films uh, that really kind of became a, a giant thing in the 80s and 90s. For all of that, Nicolas Cage is one of those people that has endured decades uh, of different levels and different phases of, you know, what has happened in cinema and in film. And so I always appreciate being able to look at someone's career and see the work that they've done and see the progress and the growth and the change and all that, right? It's really good to just know that someone's always doing something different, always trying something. And look, if anybody is an example of that, it's Nicolas Cage, okay? My guy has done movies that are the biggest movies of the year and big budgets and super all-star casts and all that stuff, right? He was even going to play Superman at one point, you remember? But um, here, you know, in the last decade or, or, or let's say 15 years or so, he's really taken a whole different turn in terms of the types of movies he's done, the types of characters he's decided to play. And, you know, there was a point where I really think that, um, you know, for better or worse, he kind of fell out of the public, uh, the public spotlight, you know, in terms of being a, a, a list or someone who can really uh, open a movie and bring people in to see it. And yeah, it's a little unfortunate, but it does happen. And yet, you know, when you look at what he's done, some of his stuff is just crazy weird. It's it's really out there. It's really, you know, just uh, just off the rails. And other stuff is really careful and really measured and really, uh, really thoughtful work. You know, some of the stuff early on, like you look at Leaving Las Vegas, where I mean, he won an Oscar for that. But it was really, you know, deep kind of look at someone who is struggling in life and struggling with addiction and all those things. And then you look at, you know, not too long after that or around the same time, like something like Gone in 60 Seconds, which is total popcorn movie, you know, ridiculous car chase, uh, just cinema, right? It, it, it's just there for a good time. There's not a whole lot of deep thought going on. So with Nicolas Cage being the guy that can move in those worlds and still kind of make it his own in some way, uh, I think that's a real, man, that's a real extraordinary talent. So here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and catch up with Nicolas Cage. Okay. We're going to go back. 
the last 10 or, or 12 years and pick up some movies that uh, I I thought might be interesting and might be interesting to see what Nicolas Cage does in them. But also, um, you know, there there's something that uh, maybe shows some promise and show like this is still the same guy, still doing the same thing, still got that same talent, right? He's not like lost his talent. He's just maybe chosen projects that aren't getting the same amount of attention, right? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at that. And so now we're going to pick up where we left off on Film Street with number 107, and that is a film called Stolen. And that is from 2012, directed by Simon West. And, you know, the basic premise here is Nicolas Cage. He starts out, the movie starts out, he's a thief. He's um, working with a crew. And uh, Josh Lucas is one of his uh, one of his buddies in their crew. And um, Malin Ackerman is another another part of the crew, another part of the team. And they're trying to pull this job. They steal this uh, money and it all goes wrong. And Josh Lucas gets shot. Nicholas Cage gets caught. He goes to prison. He returns. He comes out of prison sometime later. I think it's like eight years later or whatever. And his daughter, who I think is mentioned at the beginning, but she's now grown up. And, you know, it's it's a matter of the FBI or the, the police or whoever, you know, is Danny Houston. That's why I know. And, and and they're just kind of tracking him and they're watching to see what he's going to do. And if he's going to go back in his life of crime, what is he going to, is he going to go for his daughter? And, um, he ends up trying to find his daughter, get reconnect with her. And Josh Lucas is the guy who we thought was shot and possibly dead is actually still alive and kidnaps her. And so now he, cause he wants his cut of the money from way back. Right. He still wants his cut from that robbery, that job that they pull. So then it becomes the film becomes kind of a prolonged uh, cat and mouse game with him trying to find, uh, you know, his daughter and also trying to evade or or kind of shake the the police, the authorities that are on his trail. So, I mean, we've seen it before where a man is looking for his daughter has been kidnapped or, as we might say, taken. Right. Well, uh, the problem I have with this film, it's not a, it's not necessarily a bad film. The premise is somewhat, you know, somewhat contrived. We've kind of seen it before and it kind of, it all, you, you can start to see the formula showing underneath like, oh, this is going to happen. That It's a little bit predictable, right? But the thing I, I really, I, I just t- kind of take issue with is that it feels in some ways, it feels like a very low budget film and it, and I don't even, I don't, it's not even like the production, you know, it's got like these action sequences and it's got some stunts and whatever. And I think the premise itself, you know, it, again, it is a little bit, uh, it is a little bit run of the mill, but, um, if we're talking about Nicolas Cage and his part in it, um, I think he kind of just goes through the motions to some degree. You know, there's not a whole lot of uh, inventive uh, or, or you know, there's not a lot of fireworks in it, I guess. There is a couple of moments where you could tell, OK, we're having we're having a Nicolas Cage moment right now. But otherwise, it's it's a pretty standard um, crop, cops and robbers type of thriller, I guess. And so with that in mind, you know, it's hard to really recommend this too much, but. Yeah, you know, this might be one that probably makes like the cable rounds or something. That's what it seems like, you know. So I would say if you're really into Nicolas Cage, this might be okay. But um, 
it feels like him hanging on to being the A-list or, you know, the, the, the one that can open a, a, a weekend at the theaters. And yet, you know, this film isn't really up to snuff. So that's probably a pass for me. And in the long run, that's, that's where I'm going to fall with it. So if we turn around now, we look at our next one here. We've got 108. This is the trust. This is from 2014. You know, this is something that, um, this is a film about um, two Las Vegas police officers. And it seems like they're detectives. They're, they they kind of open the film with both of them being at different crime scenes and they're able to, you know, work the crime scene, understand, you know, what's going on. And they discover that there's um, possibly some sort of, uh, there's some discrepancies with uh, some money and stuff that they find at some of the crime scenes and like who's involved with the money and so they start to trace it back. They start to kind of uncover that there's actually something to this location. It's a little bit of a mysterious, kind of a shady place. Uh, and it's like a storefront. And there's a they discover there's like a secret vault in this. And it's a massive thing. And they decide to break into it. They don't even know what's in it. But they decide to go. And since nobody else has figured this out, and obviously the criminals who have put it there are not going to tell anybody about it. They decide to plot a heist and get whatever is in that vault and make it theirs. And so I feel like at some point these, these two, so it's Nicholas Cage and Elijah, where they're the two cops. And in a way it's like they start out playing a little bit against type. Nicholas Cage seems like the pretty straightforward you know, by the book, uh, older officer and Elijah Wood is a younger, maybe a little more questionable in his, some of his decisions or his life or whatever. Uh, you know, they, they, they seem to be on opposite ends of the spectrum of, of who is going to be the one to cross the line here. And as the film goes on, they do eventually flip, you know, they, uh, Nicholas Cage is the one that comes up with the plot and brings Elijah Wood into the plan to, get a vehicle and to figure out, you know, the, the tools that they're going to need and figure out how to do it and how to pull it off and all this stuff. And then they go out to actually do the job. They to actually get into this place. And it turns out there's other people that live on, on the, like an apartment above the store where the, where the vault is. So now there's like hostages involved and like, how do they handle that? And it becomes clear, like, you know, Nicholas Cage is the one that is the dirtier cop, if you want to put it that way. And so as this, you know, the, as this progresses, as the story of them trying to get this vault, get into the vault and then get what's out of it, as that kind of plays out, you know, which is actually pretty long. It's like the majority of the movie, really. There's some setup at the beginning, but it is mostly about them plotting this heist and then pulling it off and then trying to get away with it. And so uh, I, I thought it was interesting in terms of it played these guys against type for a minute and then it pulled them back and, and reversed it. And uh, you get to see a little bit of the mechanics of how someone could try and do something like this. And so, and, and then you see the ways that it goes wrong, which, you know, you almost expect because it, as they're talking about their plan and, and what they want to do, the questions come up of, well, how could that work? Or why, why wouldn't this happen instead? And when those things do happen or 
the questions do come up of like how how is that possible it's it's like addressed in the film in in certain ways and so you okay well this film is not completely dumb it's actually you know whoever's written this and put this together they're actually thinking this through in terms of how it might really go wrong not just getting these guys to their you know successfully uh taking whatever's in this vault but all the things that could go wrong we see it go wrong and so then it's a matter of okay this feels real this feels grounded at least and uh these guys are not master thieves these are police officers who want to try and be thieves and uh so in a way you know i like that it takes that twist on everything it it does give you enough of reality and it gives you enough of these guys trying to do something that is Somewhat extraordinary, I guess, but it's more about um, the decisions they make and why they make them. And so, you know, it's it's nothing too showy. It is actually a relatively quiet film. Um, you know, there's there, I don't I don't think there's any real like action in it. You know, it's it's more about uh, the the procedural style of going about doing this and how they put all these things together. And and the other thing. It's actually pretty funny. I mean, it's not a comedy per se, but it is. It does got a lot of humor in it, and and mostly it comes in in the terms of uh, you know, how these two guys clash with each other, just their different ways of thinking and and going about doing stuff, and and it's even funny to see Elijah Wood really in this more. Uh, it's just kind of a darker type of character than I guess you know. I, for a lot of us, he's always going to be Frodo, but for some people, you know, it's interesting to watch him be very different types of characters, you know, especially very uh, morally ambiguous characters, right? So Nicolas Cage is, is very solid here. Elijah Wood actually brings a, a little bit of a different side of himself to this. And uh, overall, the plot is pretty interesting because it really is centralized around this one particular uh thing that has to play out this heist and so you know i'll say the, uh, the only thing i'll say about the ending is that it is very abrupt i think and yet it's to be expected so um i you know it's a recommendation for me actually i really actually like this one in 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 a way that i i wasn't really sure i would i thought this was going to be very much uh, very much in the tv movie style but this does feel a little more thought out and a little more um, sophisticated, I guess. Even though the premise itself is fairly simple, the way it's pulled off and the way these guys carry it, I think it really works. So that's a recommendation for me. And um, so now let's keep it moving. All right. Film Streak is on the move. And now we're at 109. And this is Mom and Dad. And this is a film from 2017. And... This was uh, directed by Brian Taylor, who, um, you know, for some people might know, he is um, one half of, uh, was it Neville Dean and Taylor, who uh, have done some really interesting, really kind of gonzo type of films in terms of, uh, uh, what did they do? They did Gamer, and they did, I think, the Crank series, or at least the first Crank movie. Um, and I think they even did one of the Ghost Rider movies, right? It's, it sounds sounds right. And um, so I think, um, you know, knowing that, knowing the style and the tone of those movies, 
It's definitely in this. It's in, in mom and dad here. This is a story about, um, you know, you could look at this from a couple of different points of view. You know, the main characters aren't necessarily mom and dad, although they are a big part of it. Uh, the, the, the main characters in a way could also be the children. And let me, so let me just kind of, you know, knock out the premise here. The premise is that we're following these teenagers, just kids going about their life and they're frustrated with mom and dad and their rules and their way of thinking or whatever they, you know, they're being kids, they're being teenagers. And that's, that's just seems pretty, pretty, uh, typical, you know, when, when we open the film and, through some mysterious events that aren't really completely explained uh, and which, you know, ultimately it's not that important, I guess, but parents all over the world, I mean, it starts here and there with little isolated incidents, but it becomes a thing where all parents are suddenly becoming homicidal towards their own children and not other people's children, their children. And so if that's the basic premise of, of, of these are the rules of the game of, of how this is going to play out, a lot of questions come up, or at least to me, I start thinking, well, wait a minute, what, how does this work with grandchildren? And how does this work with people who don't have children? And how does this work with um, people who, you know, how does this work with children who don't have parents, right? Like, it, it, so all of those questions, they do get addressed. They do. And, and that's why I think this film is actually really smart in terms of it thought it through. You know, it didn't say, well, here are the rules and we're just going to ignore all the caveats that, you know, would come up with this premise. It does kind of address them in different ways. And, you know, even so much, I mean, it's super like morbid and disturbing and dark and and even like darkly comedic. But how does this work when you have someone, when you have a woman who's pregnant? And about to give birth to her baby in this world, right? In this circumstance. And that is a scene that's in this movie. And it goes pretty much how you, I guess, would expect, given the premise. But the way it's depicted and even the way it's unfolding, you're like, no, no, this, this is not, this, this mother is not going to try and kill her newborn baby, right? But, hey, the film goes there. I mean, it, it it really goes out on a limb and, you know, to the point where we're seeing, we're seeing so much of the like brutality and the, the, I mean, it is bloody and it is violent. And yet it's also about deeper things than just, Oh, the, the gore of it or the shock of it. You know, that there are enough scenes or enough moments between the characters, between uh, Nicholas Cage and Selma Blair, who played their the, the parents, mom and dad, uh, and even some other parents in the film, but then also between the children and how they interact, and they're trying to figure out why this is happening or, or what the rules are, right? But you also have the parents who are not necessarily concerned about the rules because they they're going by either just conventional thinking or, or even just instinct. And yet whatever this, this is, that is possessing people to do this, it's, it's going, it's, it's basically counter to that. So for instance, there's a scene where Selma Blair plays mom, she's driving 
and hearing, I think it's on the radio or something, or she's talking on the phone. There's something where she's getting the sense like, oh, there's trouble going on. People are killing their children. Like what, you know, schools aren't safe, public places aren't safe. So she goes to try, to try and find her children, her daughter and her son. And yet on the radio, it's the news or the, the broadcast is telling parents don't go to your children. That is your natural response to run to to protect your children, but don't do it because that will be that's where the problem's going to come in. And I, you know, it's I mean, it's almost a little hard to explain. You have to watch the film and see the examples and the situations that play out, but it is an interesting look into the 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 conflict that comes up, the the kind of uh, emotional conflict that comes up with being a parent and having children that uh that are going out into the world and how you protect or, or, or can't protect them. And so, uh, you know, for all the, the wild, you know, uh, bloody moments in this film, it, it does have something more to say. And if you're not a parent, maybe you won't see it all, but, um, there's definitely some deeper themes in here, which is a really cool thing. I, I, I thought that was really interesting. So, you know, this is actually a recommendation for me too. And so let's keep it moving. Let's keep it moving still. Um, this one, this is 110. And this is Mandy from 2018. And this is directed by um, a director I've never heard of before, but is I'm very interested to know whatever he does next. And this is directed by Panos Cosmatos. I uh, hope I got you right, bro. This is a movie that... Um, visually is almost beyond anything I've seen. I mean, in recent memory, um, you know, this stars Nicholas Cage, uh, Andrea Riceboro. Uh, his name is red. He, you know, him and his wife, Mandy, they live out in the woods. Um, and I think he's a lumberjack and, oh yeah, he, he must be because there's chainsaws involved. And so he lives with his wife and one night, through some you know circumstance or just a, a coincidence, she's spotted by a group of what I could only maybe describe as cult members. Um, very kind of shady, sketchy, you know, characters. Um, they return. They they find where she lives or where they live, and they come and take her. And then it's a matter of him trying to find her. And when he finds who has taken her, they beat him, torture him, and they kill her in front of him. And, you know, this is a very straight, like, you know, clean way to put it. But the film itself is there's so much of a it's almost like a hallucinatory vision you know, so much of the the cinematography, the camera work, the even you know things like the the colors and the the use of color, it's so unsettling. You know, it it in, in a way it is disturbing because you know that this is not a good situation. There's not going to be any good times here, and so you know. Part of this movie is trying him trying to figure out what is happening and who these people are. And and once his wife is killed, he goes on just a revenge kick. He's out to get every one of these fools. And 
part of this is involving a, a some kind of uh, some kind of a super acid or some you know some drug that puts these people in this state, and I think that's that's the idea is it's kind of conveyed in the camera you know on on the screen, and so you do get the effect of the the trip that these characters are on and you know oh man i mean there's so much here that is just um i don't know it's just wild to watch it's wild to look at and you know part of me thinks well it's probably overdone it's really going to overwrought but it's also it's trying to convey a point of view and that's where i think okay well all right i'll go with it it's maybe it's necessary and so you know, the thing I'll say most of all is that it is very much a, a, a dark and, and kind of a disturbing film. And, um, you know, if you're down for that, if that's your bag, then this is definitely one to check out. You know, Nicolas Cage really does go for it in some of these scenes. There's a moment, uh, the moment that or after his wife is killed. Oh, man, he is having it. I mean, it is it's Nicolas Cage, 100 percent, you know, just. Pedal to the metal. And I'm like, I'm I'm with it, man. Just let's see it. Let's see what you got. And so that's where I'm like, okay, well, here's a showcase piece, I guess. You know, here's one that's definitely going to get some notice. And so, you know, I recommend this one, of course. Um, it's, it's really a wild ride. It's a wild trip. But it is, um, I you know, to me, it speaks more to... Not to the types of stories, but the type of of style of stories, if that makes sense. That that I feel like Nicolas Cage is going for now. You know, this is so far out there, and uh, you know, not all the movies he's done in, in recent, more recent years are like this, right? But this one is. I feel like this is at the far end. This is at the extreme, and you know, the days of doing films like The Rock or uh, or like National Treasure or, or some of these others, Guarding Tess, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Those movies are gone now, for the most part, I think. And now we're into this territory, which, you know, it's definitely in the genre, almost like B-movie kind of grindhouse style, you know, just very, very disturbing, very kind of violent and and you know, really ambiguous, actually, in terms of, is, is this is this guy a good guy or a bad guy or, or what, you know? Um, so this is a recommendation for me, for sure. That's Mandy. That's 110. And here we go. We keep it moving, okay? We're going to do 111 now. This is Color Out of Space. And this is from 2019, which, you know, there was a period, I, I, I got to be honest, there was a moment where I really thought this was, this and Mandy, I had them confused. Just because... I don't know why. I guess they came out around the same time, but also I assumed it was maybe, you know, somehow related because it's both about, you know, a man that lives in the woods with his wife or uh, with his family. And and here, Color Out of Space, it, it, this is actually based on the H.P. Lovecraft novel, which I, you know, I, I don't, I didn't know. I'm not familiar. Sorry. But um, here he lives with his family, lives out in the woods, and one one evening, one one night, there's a mysterious uh, like object, like a meteor or something that lands in 
in the, on their property in front of their house. And, um, it emits all this strange light and there's like things that start happening and there's possibly some kind of creature or being that's involved with this. And I, you know, it does get into more cosmic uh, elements and there's uh, a lot of like um, gory, like bloody horror elements to it that start to become part of the film and, and what happens to these characters. And yet, uh, I don't know. I just felt like, uh, although Nicolas Cage is not, he, he's not a big force. He's not like a driving element of the story until later on when he kind of is the only one that's left in a way. Uh, it w- it wasn't really a big one that I thought, oh, this is a Nicolas Cage film. Like I identify with him. I it just, I don't know. It didn't come across that way to me. And clearly he's like the, 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 the top build actor and he's the most you know notable person on on screen but i don't know i thought this was more about this is a hp lovecraft story brought to life and made you know uh made into a film and in that regard maybe it's successful okay maybe it really does get that right but i don't know i'm not familiar with the the literature and and the whole you know background there i'm vaguely familiar with the style of storytelling and the subject matter but I'm not a big Lovecraft reader or or fan, I guess. But as far as a Nicolas Cage movie, um, I don't know. It's not really, uh, out of all these so far, it's not one that I, I would identify as a Nicolas Cage movie. So, you know, with that in mind, I'm, I'm going to pass on it, you know. It's probably got some strengths in it in terms of some of the filmmaking or or some of the, especially like some of the, uh, special effects or the, cause some of it's practical, some of it's, you know, CGI and whatever, but some of it is really done in kind of more old, old fashioned, old school way. So that's kind of impressive to watch, but otherwise, um, it's going to be really a pass for me. It's not the strongest one of the bunch here. So let's keep this going. Okay. We're at number one twelve. This is prisoners of the ghost land. This is from 2021 directed by Sion Sono, Sion Sono, and um, stars Nicolas Cage, of course, and Sofia Botella. And, uh, you know, to put it very simply, this movie is just wild. Like there, there are, are, there are whole sequences of this movie that I'm not even sure I understand what's happening. <laughs> Nicolas Cage He's a bank robber who, at the beginning of the film, we see him robbing a bank and he's got his partner and it's not really shown. It's more implied that it didn't go well and there was there was murders that happened, okay? And so we jump to a different character. We jump to Sophia Butella. She plays Bernice and she is trying to escape what looks like a, a, a compound and it looks like she's some sort of concubine or, or like a, like a, a, you know, a sex slave or something. It's not even clear. It is not said that until I guess later in the film, like what is really happening there, but we see her leaving. Now we fast forward a little while and Nicholas Cage, he becomes, um, he, he's basically captured by this character called the governor uh, played by Bill Mosley, who can Bill Mosley just always be the devil? Because that's all I know is from uh, the Devil's Rejects. Okay, 
that's that's the guy right there. I he's probably the nicest guy in the world, but always plays a major scumbag, crazy, evil persona. And I'm cool with it. I'm good with that. But here he plays a character called the governor who basically recruits or threatens or or whatever forces Nicolas Cage to go and find Bernice and, you know, go out into the wasteland to find her and bring her back. He says that's his granddaughter. Doesn't really seem like it, but that's the mission. And also he's wearing a suit that is rigged to explode in different parts of his body, all of which would be probably pretty gruesome and are gruesome when it happens. And so that kind of tells you the the type of film we're dealing with. That's the type of story we're we're working with. So, yeah, that's what that is. And so all that goes to say that this film has some really, um, <laughs> uh, let's put it, interesting ways of depicting this type of a of a post apocalyptic setting with uh, the characters and the elements, you know, the and the the. I guess bands of characters, the different types of characters. And some of it is interesting visually, but it's also a little bit surreal. And you know, there's even some allegory and some some ways that it's trying to convey, you know, the the fallout of um, you know, I, I guess a, a, the the nuclear age, you know? Um and so I just say this is a really interesting, I guess, visual experiment. Um, there's some some parts of it that I thought were kind of inventive, but it's 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 a little bit just kind of slapped together. It feels like it's it feels like there's some good ideas in here that don't really get pulled off, and uh, you know, it just feels a little bit of a, of a wasted opportunity to really, uh, I don't know to really show some strength in terms of character building. It's definitely got the world building there and it's definitely showing us this, this setting and the, and everything that, you know, the the budget is there on screen. Okay. But the problem is I think the story itself is a little bit lacking and even the characters are fairly simplistic, I think. And so, you know, if I were to look at it that way, I, I can't really recommend it. You know, it, it is interesting to just know that, this is a film that I guess that exists. And this is a filmmaker that I do want to see more of what they do also, but this one, this one probably isn't it. So we're going to pass on that. Okay. Uh, now we're coming to the last one here. This is one thirteen. This is pig. And this is from also from 2021. And this is directed by Michael Sarnowski and, and stars Nicholas Cage, Alex Wolf, Adam Arkin in a really interesting uh, premise here, which, um, you know, there's something to be said for a film that takes itself seriously and unrolls or, or, or uh, you know, peels back the layers, you know, one by one and only gives you enough to know what's happening and maybe an idea of what's coming next, but doesn't necessarily give you an understanding of why some of these things are happening, right? So that that can work. And it can also not work. And it's a, it's a tricky thing to pull off, I feel like. But this one actually does it in an interesting way. You know, it, it I feel like it actually misleads you about who this character is. You know, this character that he plays, his name is Rob. Um, and he is a 
what seems like just kind of recluse, almost a um, hermit that has a pig and uses the pig to go truffle hunting out in the woods. And I think it's Portland or somewhere in Oregon, something like that. And, you know, it seems like a very kind of a monastic life, right? Like this is just someone who doesn't have much and doesn't need much. And it's just fine with that. And so the day that this pig goes missing, I say go missing, but I really mean is taken from him by some, uh, it, it's unclear who it is, but just some people break into his house or his shack or whatever and take the pig. You know, when that happens, it throws his whole world off. As simple as it is, it, it th- turns it upside down. So then he goes to look for who took his pig. And, you know, it's uh, on that note, it seems like this is kind of a silly premise. Like it doesn't make any sense. And like, why is this pig so important? And it is revealed over the course of the movie and, and the people that he comes in contact with, the situations where you start to see, well, the pig has more meaning than just, oh, this is how he finds truffles. I mean, he even says at one point, like, I don't actually need the pig to do that. I know how to do it already. The pig actually has other deeper, more sentimental meaning. And, you know, when he, when it's revealed that he is dealing with grief and that is one of his ways of dealing with grief, that is his, uh, you know, maybe it's like a service animal kind of situation. I don't know, but it's a thing where it's something that is a part of his life and it's maybe even not necessary, but it does symbolize something that is a constant and that is uh, a little bit of a of, of a of a reliable presence, and so when that's taken from him, um, it it's it wrecks him. And so here is a story of a man who at first seems like maybe he is out for revenge or out for justice, or he's trying to find you know he's trying to find something that's important to him. But it's more about someone who's really dealing with loss and and maybe doesn't know how to do it and is is only using what's available to him and, and basically rejecting everything else instead. And so, you know, in that way, it actually is some something of a powerful story and, and the character itself, even though it's pretty simple and he doesn't, you know, Nicolas Cage doesn't really go to Nicolas Cage territory, okay? He does play this one really, really small and and keeps it low profile. You know, there's a moment. Yes, there's a moment where, uh, you know, he has his moment in in the film, but he doesn't rely on all of the Nicolas Cage tricks. You know, all the ticks and you know his charisma. That is really all kind of put aside, and it's more about watching this man try to basically reshape his life after this has happened. And so, you know, I, I feel like it's a little bit, like I said, it's a little bit misleading about who this character is or what he's about or whatever. But once you see the film and you kind of get to the end, you realize, okay, now I know what this is. And I look at it a little differently. And, and, and maybe that's even part of it is you, you don't know what's going on in someone's head or in someone's heart. You know, they could be totally, uh, not the person that they seem on the outside. And so 
you know, with that, I, I take it as, as actually some deeper meaning to this and, and a more somber uh, tone to it than I was expecting, I guess. So, uh, you know, I got to say, it was actually, I thought, pretty, pretty deftly pulled off uh, that balance of being a somber film, but also having a little bit of an element of mystery to it. And, uh, and, and, and really a revelation at the end about who this character is. So, I'll, you know, I'll give it a recommendation. It is very slow moving. It is very kind of, uh, nuanced and, and subtle. It does take its time, which is fine. But, uh, you know, if you're thinking it's one of these other movies, eh, it, you go with the other movie. Okay. Don't go with this one. But I, I think there's something to be, to be said about, uh, you know, what's on, what's on screen and, and the story that this film is trying to tell. So there we go. That's 113. That is pig. And that is this episode of film street. And so look, I, well, we're going to keep this going. This has been a little bit of a, of a different type of episode. You know, I don't really do this like hanging it off of one person because I feel like that's a, just a grab bag of, of the types of movies. And certainly Nicolas Cage has done a lot of other movies in the last 10, 15 years that are not these movies and maybe they're better, but uh, they might also be worse. So if you're interested in any of those, you can certainly check those out. These are probably where I'm going to leave it for now. All this is leading up to, of course, now, if you haven't figured this out yet, the recent release of his newest movie, which really seems like uh, everything is coming full circle, which is uh, the, uh, what is it? The unbearable weight of massive talent, which just looks like, it looks like something I've been waiting for. Like, this is the guy that this movie should be about, you know, in some strange way. It's almost like w with uh, being John Malkovich, I'm like, that couldn't have been anybody else in that movie. But that was being um, being Harrison Ford. And it's not the same movie. Right. So, you know, there's a specific type of personality that this movie can be about. And so that's why I'm excited to see that one. But it's only fair that I go back and kind of catch up, you know, and see what else he's been doing all this time. So that was a look at that. All right. So, look, if you uh, if you want to hear some other episodes, they're not all like this, not all about one actor or whatever. It's, it's got different things. We're just watching a bunch of the films, okay? We're, we're at 113 already, so it's a lot. And we're going to keep going. But nevertheless, if you want to hear some other episodes, you go to filmstreak.com. You can listen to them there. You can subscribe in all the podcast places. And, uh, hey, look, until then, until next episode, just uh, be cool, be you, and you know, keep watching those movies. 